This is a special Fly Fishing Founders episode where you hear behind-the-scenes stories from the companies who are going all-in on fly fishing. This week we have The Gray Drake with Dan Gates. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Interested in going on a hosted fly fishing trip with yours truly and a few of the great guests from the podcast? Go to wetflyswing.com slash destination to get more info and reserve a spot. Uh, or just click the link in the show notes and that'll get you started. That's wetflyswing.com slash D-E-S-T-I nation. In today's episode, I talk with Dan Gates, the founder of The Gray Drake. We talk about how um, the idea of creating a retro fly wallet and company in the fly fishing space came to be his upcoming trout spay guide trip season, and his passion for steelhead. Dan shares a link to a musician and leather worker that's helping him to get the company going. And um, we're going to talk all these things and a bunch more today, so uh, stay tuned. And without further ado, here's Dan Gates from The Gray Drake. How's it going, Dan? Hey, Dave. Doing well. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Yeah, we. Uh, I guess we've been talking about this for a little while. You've been uh, you've been on as a sponsor of the uh, the podcast, and you know we're kind of just jumping fully into this. I wanted to hear your story and maybe shed some light on what you have going, and you know the products and you know stuff you have going in the fly fishing space. But um, before we get there, maybe just talk about how you uh, first got into fly fishing. Yeah, for sure. So I got into fly fishing when I was ten or eleven. Um, my parents are both in the medical field. Uh, my dad's a pediatrician. My mom was a nurse. So, um, every year they used to have to, I grew up in Idaho and we used to have to, to go to this conference, um, in the fall over in sun Valley and they needed something to do with me for the day. And, um, I saw an ad for like a kid's fly fishing class and didn't really know what it was, but it kind of seemed cool. And so they signed me up for that and it was kind of love at first sight. Uh, they took me out to a a stocked pond, I think at like the gun, the gun club in sun Valley. And I caught a bunch of fat rainbows. So I was, I was pretty hooked from the beginning, but, um, yeah, I grew up in Southeast Idaho. So fishing the, the Henry's fork and the South fork and like the waters, of the Yellowstone national park and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I, I kind of, kind of was, uh, introduced to fly fishing and, and kind of the best, best place for trout fishing anyway, out, out West. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it's been kind of a passion for a while now. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And then, so, so the great Drake, so you, I mean, when did uh, you kind of think, start thinking about having a a product of your own? Yeah. So that was, uh, we started that in 2014. Um, and basically that was, uh, I was up late one night and, uh, just kind of thinking, uh, that I wanted to be involved in the, the fly fishing space. I've worked in the outdoor industry for uh, quite a while um, through different companies, ski companies and, and online retailers and stuff like that and uh, guided a bit um, in the past and uh, just kind of wanted to do something on my own. And uh, I've always been kind of a, a nerd for uh, more like vintage tackle um, and just kind of the direction that the fly fishing industry was going. Um, I wanted to offer something a little bit different. Um, and that's really, really how it was born. All right, right, yeah. So the vintage tackle thing, and that's what you're, 
you know, I, basically the fly wallets and their, their old school. And I'm not sure who else is doing those out there anymore, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't remember seeing those around much since when I was a, a kid. Um, I'm sure there's probably some other things out there, but on the outdoor industry now, what, um, what companies are, what were you doing now? So it was just skiing mostly. Yeah. So I, I worked for a company called backcountry.com for a really long time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that's huge. They're big. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of got a job there. I, I moved to Salt Lake, um, which is where I'm at now from Idaho, uh, to go to college. I went to the university of Utah and, um, back country is kind of a seasonal job that I, I stumbled into, um, as like a, a warehouse worker drove the forklifts and basically kind of stuck around and worked my way up into helping build a, a sales program there. Um, and so I did about eight years of backcountry, um, which was great. And through that, I met a lot of a lot of contacts in the outdoor world, and also worked for a, a smaller ski company called Volé um, mm-hmm. in Salt Lake when I first yeah, moved here. Yeah, they make here. Uh, goggles, right? Uh, so that's that's Volé. This is Volé. Oh. <laughs> really similar names. <laughs> oh, but, really? Uh, Volé makes like avalanche shovels and, and telemark ski oh, gear wow. and stuff like that. Okay. What well, what's the difference between it's interesting because I've had a little background in the outdoor space as well and you know uh, it's a lot bigger. I mean, what what do you see the difference between fly fishing and in the outdoor space? How, how much bigger is it just uh no comparison or you know what how's that all work out? Because you're trying to, you know, make a business online and I'd imagine there's some struggles there. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. Um for example, when I first kind of started at backcountry and was working um as a gearhead which is basically like their customer service um there was only a handful of people there that fly fished and so if a customer and we didn't really sell fly fishing gear back then no um it was kind of its own you know separate thing and then uh we started getting in a few a few brands like i think we brought on reddington maybe first and sage and so we started getting some fly fishing customers and um it was really kind of this unknown thing. And then it was just like overnight, everyone fly fished, you know, it's like fly fishing hit this kind of like boom, um, when was five that? or six years ago, okay. I would say five yeah. or six years ago. And so, so um, back in like 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Like 20, 2011, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And so it was kind of interesting to watch that transformation because in my mind, they were the out, the like mainstream outdoor industry and fly fishing were kind of two separate worlds. And now they're much more intertwined. And where did that come from? Because you think of, you know, we hear on this show a lot about the 1992, you know, probably, you know, uh, a long time ago, but, you know, with the river runs through it. And sure. So, I mean, what was the 2012? Do you have any idea why that the boom there? No, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I have some some theories, but it's like, you know, like I said, I've been fly fishing since I was a kid and and like a total nerd about it. I've, I've always just loved it. And so I remember. Like in high school, it was kind of like all my friends would be like, "Oh, you fly fish? Like that's that's cool, I guess." Like my dad fly fishes, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't like people were like, "Oh man, like I want to come fishing with you." Where, uh, yeah, kind of around and, that that time period. And uh, how, go ahead. how old are you, Dan? Yeah, so I'm I'm 31. Okay, 31. Yeah, cool. So that gives us uh, some perspective. So so 31. So yeah, you're. Um, let's see, you're probably yeah. You're, so you're mid 2000s for like high school, right? Yeah, graduated high school in 06. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like flash forward to like kind of like 2012, and all of a sudden it's like people are like, oh, you fly fish, like, let's go out, you know, like take me out, show me how. So I, I don't know what the shift was. I think it was, uh, well, I mean, I think a big a big part of it is um, 
you know, kind of mid to late 2000s, you know, the fly fishing film tour really kind of got up and running. And there's this whole, the, the fly fishing industry started to mimic the ski industry. And, you know, fly fishing became this like action sport, like quote unquote. And so, yep. um, I think that was really, you know, it just became, Tom, I think Tom, Tom by and all the other people that, yeah, the, the magazines kind of came in strong and yeah, it seems like things changed that 10 year periods. There were some di- big differences. Yeah. It just, I think it just became a little bit cooler for, for kind of the younger generation. And, uh, you know, once you go a few times, you realize it's a, a pretty damn good time. So it wasn't yeah. long before the, you know, a lot of people were hooked. Yeah. Okay. So that, that yeah, it gives us some perspective and backcountry.com is obviously they've got to be one of the biggest kind of online retailers, right out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, most, most years they are there's, you know, there's a few other ones out there, but uh, yeah, there it's a massive operation. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. So you have a, a similar, I mean, you've, you've loved fly fishing since you were a kid and you know, I love the throwback because I, I was just uh, kind of listening to it as a podcast. Um, oh, it was, um, it was April Vokey who was interviewing uh, Joan Wolf, who I actually have come oh, yeah. I, I'm going to be interviewing Joan Wolf here in a, in a, whatever it is, a couple months or and, uh, yeah, and it's pretty challenging because it's like, okay, I got Joan Wolf coming out. She's 92. Right. You know, she's this kind of bigger than life figure. And I'm like, okay, I can't screw that up. I want to make sure to ask the right questions that they were talking about, you know, just the whole history thing. Right. So, I mean, who were some of your mentors? I mean, do you have like these big throwback kind of old school people that, that kind of inspired these classic or where did this classic fly wallet stuff come from? Yeah. So, um, I definitely had, you know, some personal mentors, uh, that kind of took me under their wing growing up. Um, this, this guy named Al Bridwell, he was just a local in Rexburg, Idaho, where I grew up, but, uh, he really took me under his wing and, and he was a retired Marine. And so he, you know, he had days off and my dad was working. And so, uh, he would take me out to the river, uh, during the days in the summer. And then, you know, my dad would, my, my family didn't fly fish at all before I got into it. So I kind of like got my whole family into it. Hmm. Um, so my dad would come out, you know, when he was off work and we'd all fish together, but, uh, through, through Al, I really kind of like was introduced into this whole, uh, fly fishing world and, um, the Henry's fork, you know, I don't know how much you know about it, but it's, it's pretty renowned as, as kind of this world famous, oh, yeah. a really technical dry fly river. And it has out of all the rivers I've ever fished for trout anyway, it has, the most distinct culture and uh that river in itself to me is kind of like a throwback um you know it's yep it's different than a lot of other rivers out west and so i think just growing up in around that culture and uh kind of in the fly shops up in in last chance idaho really kind of is what uh planted that seed of kind of like the throwback i don't know like the sure when i picture fly fishing i still picture the late 90s uh, like when i was a kid like that's that's the image that comes to mind and um yeah 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 like- and, and that's kind of the, th- the river runs through it again, you know, going back to that, you think about the, when that movie was set, you know, it was set in the, whatever it was, you know, the, the early days, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Back where people smoke cigarettes and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And then I, one of my early, uh, I'm also heavily involved in fly tying and I've been, I tied kind of the, like the expo show circuit, yep. um, since I was young as well. And, uh, I met Sil Neems, who was, you know, a big proponent of the soft tackle. And I just thought he was this cool old, old guy. And he was super nice to me when I was 
I was a kid and uh, gave me a couple of his books and some of his flies. And like I said, I was a nerd. Well, I still am a nerd, but was a total nerd. And I was a little kid for fly fishing and, uh, you know, would read books cover to cover. And so I read his book on soft tackles. And I've always just kind of had a, a soft spot for fishing and uh, swinging soft tackles. And yep. uh, so I think all that together is just kind of where the whole like aesthetic of, of the Grey Drake and the fly wallets and uh, like some of the fly box stuff we're doing these days is that's really where it came from. And my inspiration for that is, you know, there was <clears throat> because so many people got into fly fishing in, you know, 2010 forward, they think it's this kind of fast paced, like action sport. And uh, <laughs> there's this whole other, you know, whole other side to it. And that other side to it to me is the real, like the real joy of fly yeah. fishing. That, that is kind of interesting. That whole action sport thing, because, um, you're totally right. Yeah. Like the, I'm not sure what may, I mean, the fly fish journal, I think Steve Duda and folks like that came from the, and I actually, a lot of people I talked to, yeah. And fly fishing, they had some skiing background. Um, mm -hmm. so you definitely have that, but yeah, but, but, but when you talk to people, obviously that, that know what fly fishing is about, it's about kicking back and relaxing. It's not about, you know, getting the numbers, although that's something, I mean, I've been in that game too before where you're kind of this numbers game and, but, um, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's like, it's more of the slower pace. I mean, do you see, do you think it's more of a younger generation thing still that, uh, that people are doing that or they kind of have to, yeah, get, I think so. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, generational. I also think it's just kind of like the, you know, the life cycle of the angler, you know, when you start, you want to catch every fish you can. And, um, yeah. And then once right. you kind of move on from that, it's like you, you figure out, what you kind of like and what you don't like. And, um, I think for a lot of people, you know, it is super attractive to, uh, especially these days, you know, like kind of like, uh, like throwing like big articulated streamers and stuff like that is, yeah. uh, kind of in the spotlight. And that's cool. I've definitely done that, but not my, not my preferred, uh, method of fly fishing. But, uh, I think that's super exciting for a lot of people. It's really visual or, you know, if they just want to catch a lot of fish, you know, especially, um, uh, like where I'm at in Utah, you know, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of nymphing, um, on tailwaters. And, and so, you know, it's just people have limited amounts of time and they want to capitalize on that time. And the best way is to, you know, drop a couple bead head nymphs below an indicator and, That's and right. fish a hole over and over. And you, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed to catch a, so, a couple fish, but yeah. So the nymphing are, so are you doing more like the Euro nymphing or more just traditional nymphing? Yeah, so I uh, I really don't nymph a whole lot. I don't have anything against it necessarily, but um, I don't really do the Euro nymphing thing too much. I did have this uh, this brief uh, interlude with Tinkara, I will say, where mm -hmm. I got really into Tinkara fishing for a little bit. Yeah, um, which Utah is actually perfectly suited for that because most of our water is is small and medium sized rivers. Besides the Green, we don't really have any any what I would consider large large water. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, Tinkara, to me, Tinkara, you know, unless you're fishing a dry fly on it, like it's, you're basically your own nymphing and, um, and it's super effective in that way. So I did that for, for a little while and yeah, I mean, it's incredibly effective. You know, you can go out to a tailwater and, uh, if you're fishing in a little bit, little bit different way, kind of your own nymphing, um, or, you know, whether it's on a, a Euro nymphing rig or a Tinkara, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can clean up, you can catch quite a few fish, but uh, you know, I did that and that was cool. Um, 
but yeah, I, I generally don't nymph a whole lot. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, no, this is good. I, I noticed, and I didn't realize, I mean, you have, sounds like you have some guiding experience and I think on your, your website, you still have a, like a trout spay guiding uh, service that you do. So um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. I, something that this popped out, you know, and I, you sent me a couple of your shirts and stuff like that, which I love, you know, the, the, uh, the quality and kind of, you know, the stuff you have going they're, they're, they're good stuff. I did notice you, I think you have a sticker that says no one cares that you're a guide. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, what, what, yeah. what's that all about? Cause that kind of sounds like, I'm not sure what that actually is. Can you explain uh, what, what that little bumper sticker is all about? <laughs> yeah, sure. That one's got me in, in some, in uh, some trouble. Bet, so yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> basically it's, uh, yeah. So i I would never really say, you know, like I'm a, I'm a guide I've guided for a decade, but it's always been kind of a, a part-time job and, um, you know, picking up trips here and there. Utah is very relaxed on who can be a guide. And so that's kind of the background for the sticker. Oh, um, oh anybody, like so you don't Idaho, need a guide's license? Not so much. Like in Idaho, you have to guide underneath an outfitter. Um, and it's very regulated. There's hardly any, you know, it's, it's pretty much impossible to get like a new outfitters license, but in Utah, um, you can kind of freelance guide and you can work for several different outfitters. And, uh, it's very, un- because we're doing the, like I said, the majority of the water in Utah small, most of it's not from a boat, it's all walk and wade. So you don't need like a captain's license or anything like nope. that. Um, so yeah, it's very easy to become a guide. And so when I moved here, you know, I, I kind of realized that and needed some summer work. And so I, I've, I've basically been on rotation for five or six different companies here, uh, just picking up trips and, um, you know, like I said, it, it's super fun. Uh, I enjoy guiding. I love teaching people how to fly fish, but I would never can consider myself like a, a full-time guide because there are guys out there, you know, buddies of mine that are out there grinding every single day. And I have the utmost respect for them because it's, it's a tough yeah. gig to do. But the, uh, the background of the stickers basically, uh, with this whole, it, you know, in a way it's kind of like bringing in the, the ski, like bro bra culture. Of, All right. Uh, you know, just like, I'm so cool. I'm a guide, you know, it's just yeah. kind of like, well, like no one cares, man. Yeah. Like, right. let's just all relax. Like, so it's, it really, what it comes from is, uh, there's an old sticker that, uh, used to be on a lot of cars in Salt Lake that says no one cares that you ski at Alta. Oh, right. uh, that, <laughs> people good. used to have Alta stickers See, that all over one their makes cars. Sense. That one makes sense. I mean, cause I haven't I would even skied Alta, but I just know exactly what that means. It means <laughs> yeah, like so no, nobody cares that you, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever that, you know, you have a ton of money that you're, you know, you're this awesome person, you know, nobody cares. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's basically where that sticker came from. And, uh, yeah, so a lot of people get it. Most people have loved it and think it's hilarious. And most of the stickers I've sold, uh, that, so that was, a that sticker was made as a kind of a, we donated all the proceeds from that sticker to, uh, wild steel headers United, uh, uh-huh. trout unlimited last year. Um, so it's just, yeah, kind of like a tongue in cheek, funny sticker, you know, some guys got pissed off, but it's the yeah. ones that were pissed off are basically the ones that kind of need to, to read the sticker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Nice. So, it, so it actually works. So basically, yeah, the, uh, the, the people that are actually the full-time guides and they're grinding it out, they, they don't, they read that and they're like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect them. But, but the people that it affects are the people that are actually the bros, right? The, the, the people that are saying it. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. That, that makes sense. No, I mean, I think some of the stuff sometimes, you know, I think it's good to have that, right? Because you're, you're stopping people and making them think about it. Uh, you know, if you just said some other, if you said it some other way, maybe you wouldn't get the, you know, you wouldn't get your message out there, but it sounds like your message is getting out there. 
Yeah, I mean, I hope so. And yeah, you know, maybe I'll just take this moment to clarify. Like, I, <clears throat> as someone that's dipped their toe in the guiding world, you know, like I said, I, I have the utmost respect for uh, people that are doing it for their full time profession. You know, hats yeah. off to you. So totally. definitely no disrespect. Just, just kind of a, a tongue in cheek, funny, funny thing. No, I hear you. Yeah, and, and you just said, and you said it's e- uh, it's easy to be a guy. That's that's I guess true in Utah, but it's not easy to be a good guide. You know, and. And I've, uh, right. I've had some experience guiding as well. And, you know, it's, it's not easy, man. You know, it's not an easy uh, job at all. It's I mean, anybody who's a, like a full-time guide is, you know, my hat's off to him because that's, that's a full-time job. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like I said, I, I mean, this year I've probably done, you know, just a handful of trips, maybe like a dozen or so or, or less. And, um, in addition to the grade Drake, I also work, uh, a full-time job with a tech company right now. So, you know, it's, you know, any given week I'm, you know, anywhere between 60 and 90 hours. And wow. there's some guys that just spend that. I know some guys here in Utah that, uh, will spend that amount of time just on the water guiding every week. And that's, that's brutal. So, oh my gosh. so you do, gig. so you do 60 to 90 hours in your kind of day job, day job. And then you also are, and still do the, uh, great Drake on the side. Well, no, that, that 60 to 90 hours is like everything, like yeah. all encompassing. Okay. All right, yeah, that makes sense. I'd be dead. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that's uh, okay. (laughs) You'd be, (laughs) yeah, okay. But yeah, so I mean, how is that? How has that been with the Grey Drake? Uh, You know, you've uh, been since 2014. I mean, what what are your plans here? Are you planning on hopefully taking this as like a full-time thing or is this more of a side gig or, you know, what what are you looking at here? Yeah, so I mean, I would love to be able to do it as a full-time thing, but honestly, right now, it's really just more of a passion project. Um, It's, the main goal of it is pretty, you know, I haven't made a dollar off of it basically, you know, as a business model, it's really yeah. not the best one, but I pretty much donate, uh, you know, we cover the cost of, you know, our, our material costs and whatnot. And then we, we pretty much donate all the proceeds to different conservation groups. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, in the past we've donated the groups like Utah stream access coalition, um, which works super hard at preserving public access on Utah waters. Mm-hmm. Um, we've donated, like I said, to wild Stillheaders United and different child unlimited groups. So, um, you know, that for me, that's, it's kind of all about giving back. I, I think it's cool if, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that anyone is interested, um, in our stuff, you know, it's always humbling to every time an order comes through to, yeah. to kind of think that someone out there thinks it's cool. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately the goal is kind of, uh, a making gear that lasts a bit longer than, than some of the stuff that's on the market. Um, and you know, being good stewards of our environment and, and the sport and then giving back where we can. So as long as I'm able to, to do those three at kind of whatever, whatever size, um, yeah. I'll be happy. That's cool. Yeah. It's pretty awesome because, you know, right now you're, you know, a sponsor on the show and, uh, and the other, you know, one currently is Deli Fresh Design, which is also a yeah. small company. And the cool thing is, is, you know, Ross has the same ethic, you know, I mean, obviously a lot right. of people do in fly fish and they understand conservation. If without conservation, you don't even have fish. So, but, but I think, you know, it sounds like you and Ross are taking it a step level where a uh, step above, you know, where he's doing the same thing. I mean, all of his products are, you know, or some of them are recycled materials and, you know, he's talking about all this stuff. I mean, what's your, I mean, you basically, I think you have a new fly box out, right? That's kind of using some of that. How, how are you trying to, you know, with that conservation message, how are you doing that with your, your products? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, and it's, it's, it's a complex one. Um, we're, we're basically trying to do things like, you know, the fly wallets are super cool. Um, an acquaintance actually sews all those up by hand. 
um, when, hence why they're they're kind of pricey. You know, it's mm-hmm. really the, and there's hundreds of hours put into those wallets. So those um, are all hand handmade in like the U.S. Yeah, yeah, they're they're sewn by one guy. Uh, his name's Matt Codina. He's actually not a fly fisherman, but yeah. uh, he's an amazing leather worker and an incredible musician. Um, you can look about on Instagram. His Instagram's Matt Codina Leather. How do you spell? Um, how do you spell Codina? Uh huh. C O D I N A. Okay. And uh, yeah, my a buddy of mine knew him, and he was like, "Hey, my friends want to do these fly wallet things," and so. He's like, yeah, I'd love to sell those up. That, that seems like a great idea. And um, yeah, they're they're incredible. Like when you actually kind of see them in hand, especially the bigger size one. You know, it's double lined with calf skin on the inside, and it's there's not a, a nicer wallet out there. I can mm-hmm. I can pretty much promise you that. Who else? But, who else? Are there other um, like similar fly wallets out there? Um, so there there's a few. You know, you can hop on like Etsy and find oh, right. find a bunch. And then yeah. I, I'm not sure like what level he's still doing it. Um, but around the same time the Great Drake started, there was a guy. Um, and I don't remember where he's where he's from. I want to say maybe East Coast somewhere. Uh, yeah. It was called Finn F I N N. Gotcha. And he was making some pretty cool like canvas wallet stuff. And oh yeah, but I'm there not, are, but there aren't I, any of the big companies aren't really doing it. No, not so much. I mean, it's hard. You know, unless you want to do kind of a a cheaper wallet, um, it's hard. I mean, the the trick with the Great Drake is, you know, like who's who's going to drop two hundred bucks on a on a leather fly wallet, right? Like yeah. it's a pretty it's a pretty narrow demographic of people that that are kind of willing to do that. And it's not your, it's not that beginning angler that, you know, that started in 2012, you know, they're not quite there yet. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, some of the, back to your question, the, the stuff we're doing with the fly boxes is, um, you know, I, one day I was kind of organizing my gear and realized I had like eight or nine fly boxes that have just been kicking around and are all beat up and you know, they're everything from like the old, like the old school plastic foam boxes yep. to kind of like the newer silicone, uh, rubber injected, whatever. And, um, like they're cool, but they, they get so beat up looking and they don't really like, they don't age well. And then I just realized like, it's an incredible amount of you no know, fly fishing. And like you said, we have to be conservation minded because, it's just everywhere, you know, especially if you fish for steelhead or salmon. I mean, you can't, it's not the most optimistic sport right now. So, um, you know, I, I think people have that conservation ethic, but then when you look at the actual sport of fly fishing, there, there's an incredible amount of like plastic and just kind of overuse of materials that, uh, really kind of goes against that conservation ethic. And so, yeah. um, it's like the you know, plastic, it's just like, uh, it's like the plastic straws, you know, ban the straw or whatever that movement like right. the oceans, the pile of plastic in the ocean, right? Right. And, you know, it's like, look, like, <clears throat> I would love to to be the dude that can kind of exist in his own little little ecosystem and ride his bike everywhere. But that's just not the, the reality. You know, like, I'm in my car driving up to <laughs> Idaho that, pretty that's much actually, every weekend. And, that, that's actually Ross. That, I don't know if yeah, you Yeah, yeah, I listened <laughs> to that, and I was like, man, that guy's going to put me to shame. No, I, no, I mean, nobody could. I mean, he, he's. I think he's at the extreme level. I, actually, he and, and to clear the slate, Ross does have a car now. He's traveling across the country. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not He's not fully, uh, uh, fully hip, you know. Uh, I, I just got back from the um, – we went to the um, – the Oregon Country Fair. Have you ever heard of that? No. Yeah. So the Oregon Country Fair is this full on, basically this hippie event that's been going on for a year, you know, years and years. And, you know, that's what it is. It's all these people that are basically, you know, kind of doing all that, right? Living, you know, as frugally as possible, you know, kind of the, my picture of it is the deadheads, right? 
yeah, people yeah. that just travel <laughs> around in buses. So that's kind of what it is, a, a event where everybody comes together. But yeah, Ross is the extreme. So that's hard to get to that level where you don't have a car and you're riding a bike. But other than that, it sounds like you are doing what you can. And, and now the wild steer. So you're Henry's Fork in that area, Idaho. You must have fished for some steelhead before you left Utah. Uh, yeah. So actually the, one of the, the biggest regrets of my early fly fishing life is, you know, we always heard about steelhead and we actually drove over, like I said, I learned to fly fish in Sun Valley, which, you know, is an hour from some great steelhead water. Um, is that the clear and, water or what, what's it? What's uh, the salmon. Oh, the salmon. Yeah. Yep. So we, we kind of, it was like always out there. We actually drove out to the river, my dad and I one time and bought some some eight weight rods and we were going to do it. And we just never really did it when we were little. And, and the still had, the still had returns are actually kind of decent. I mean, there were some pretty low years back then too, but, uh, it wasn't until much later that I really got into, I didn't really go on my first still heading trip until 2012. Yep. Um, and that's really when I got, the I, I did my, yeah, I got my first, uh, well, I did my first spay casting lesson much earlier, probably like uh, I don't know, mid two thousand sometimes and was kind of messing around with the spay rod and really liked that. And, uh, yeah, went out to Washington and saw the Olympic peninsula for the first time and caught my first steelhead on the sole duck, uh, summer run. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty much over after that. I've, I've been pretty hooked since then. So yeah, this, the steelhead bug, you know, obviously it, it takes a hold of a lot of people. Um, and that's awesome, man. I mean, you got your whole life ahead of you now to, to dial it in, but you're in Utah. So do you still get out and do some steelheading, you know, regularly or what, what's your, are you planning on heading back to, to more steelhead country? Yeah. I mean, I, I try to take a couple trips a year. Um, you know, the, the salmon up in Idaho really isn't too far. It's five and a half hours, oh, five is that hours. Always? Oh yeah. That's not bad. Yep. So, um, you know, that's the cool thing about that is the, <laughs> that's, that's 900 miles from the ocean. So those steelhead have taken, one of the most amazing migrations in the natural world uh, to get to that point. So it's pretty incredible. Um, they've had horrible return numbers the the past year or two. Yeah, um, yeah, they have. And there's very few wild fish left. It's mainly a hatchery thing, which is kind of a whole nother a whole nother can of worms. But uh, that's the closest steelhead water. So that's that's feasible to get up to on a on kind of a three day weekend. Um, but yeah, I tried to get out. Uh, I spent four or five days. Um, up on the Olympic Peninsula this spring, and um, yeah, I'll try to get out somewhere this fall. We're gotcha. I'm going going back to Nova Scotia for some Atlantic salmon this fall, so that might be my my fall trip. But. Oh, cool, cool, right on. So, what's your? Is that? Uh, I mean, if you had to look at your, I'm kind of I've, I ran this survey to see kind of what the the you know the dream trip or you know your your must do trip is that you maybe haven't done. Is that um, do you have that in your mind, or is that a steelhead trip, or is that Atlantic salmon, or is that something else? Um, right now it's probably steelhead. I mean, I, there's a lot of fishing out there and I, yeah, I'd love I to do most of it, but, um, I think just because steelhead and I don't know if it's just the urgency around, uh, you know, I think we're, we're watching some, some rivers really lose, you know, we're, we're actually watching the decline happen right now. And, and, you know, it's, it's most likely they won't come back in those rivers. So I think it, there's kind of this urgency in my mind to, to go fish some of these rivers that still have decent runs and, and kind of do it while you can, because it's, you know, who knows what it's going to look like in 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely plenty of challenges, especially as I, I don't think our population is turning the other way, right? We're not, we're <laughs> no. still increasing. So that, that, that's always the struggle is that, man, you look at, it, you're like, okay, so we're going to keep putting more people on the planet and 
you know, the water temperatures are still going to, you know, probably go up because we're going to use more water. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I know it is this ball of thing that's like, man, how, how do you do it? But, uh, but I think how you do it is, you know, like what you're doing. I mean, people that buy your fly wallets, they know that when they buy your fly wallet, some of that money goes to, you know, the Steelheaders United, goes to protecting the resources. And, you know, at the bottom line, you, you might not think, you know, you might not realize it, but the small group, right? I mean, you know, Rachel Carson, all that other stuff started with this uh, uh, one person. And right. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it might seem dim, but I mean, that's the thing, man, just keep people going. So I think that's what's cool about what you have, you know, what you have going um, there for sure. You know, looking at, um, you know, just what you have, obviously you're, you're thinking of, you've got a great thing going here. What is, you know, the guiding in, in your home water? So do you consider it more, are you, is your home water steelhead water or do you kind of consider it more of a trout water out of Utah? Yeah, definitely trout water. And um, so, yeah, guiding, uh, you mentioned you brought up the trout spay thing. That's actually something we just barely launched. Um, and so we're, what we're kind of offering is, and I'll be, I'll be doing all those trips for now. Um is basically kind of a hybrid of um, like a, a short guided trip and, and a trout spay lesson. You know, there's trout spays kind of growing in popularity, and it's something I've been I picked up uh, maybe four or five years ago, and I think it's super fun um, and a really effective way to fish. But uh, you know, there's it's still pretty unknown to a lot of people and can be really intimidating in terms of all the different lines and everything that are out there right now. Yeah. Um, so the idea is, you know, we'll just kind of take people out. Uh, these are all kind of like evening trips to avoid some of the other, uh, recreational traffic on the rivers that we have out here, all the tubers and, and rafters and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, just spend an evening learning how to swing flies on a two handed rod and hopefully catch some trout in the process. So that's kind of the, the guiding program that we just launched. But, uh, what I've done in the past, it's, uh, it's all in the same rivers. It's the two biggest rivers near Salt Lake are the Provo and the Weber, um, both are decent rivers. They're kind of mid-size. Uh, they have a ton of fish from their size, and the Provo wow. gets hammered. I mean, it is it is overfished, yeah. but it it still produces, and um, you know, it's everyone's kind of fishing it the same way. So when you you know, I'm, there's a handful of guys out there with the that you'll see with the trout spay rod or swinging flies, but um, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> one me. person's doing that for every you know hundred or two hundred that are fishing an indicator and and the fish respond really well you know you can you can go through a riffle swinging flies and pick up you know 10 or 15 fish and uh the same guy will come through with an indicator and they just kind of the fish have seen that so many times oh, they're right. a little they're a little bit gun shy so yeah. uh, you know sometimes it's just about about giving them something different um but yes yeah, so we're fishing those rivers and um yeah, it's all kind of rainbow and brown trout you know if you're lucky there's still a few cutthroat around in, in those streams but um, yeah, Utah has, uh, an incredible amount of water to fish. They're just kind of, you just kind of have to adjust your expectations for the amount of people on the rivers and then, uh, kind of the size of the rivers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. They, the trout spay, I had, uh, John uh, McCloskey on, he's a, he's a guide over, um, he fishes the knack knack in Alaska, like kind of half time, half time there. And he's in Georgia and he's saying in Georgia, there's just, nobody's doing it there at all. Right? Yeah. Even more so no, he's like the only guy, but you know, he was talking about these flies and how he was kind of downscaling stuff from steelheader. I mean, you basically, you know, what are the flies you're using? Do you have a couple of flies that, you know, you, you go to for the trout space stuff? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I think it can be really attractive for people to downscale from their steelhead uh, gear. That's definitely what I did initially. Um, you know, the first trout spay rod I had was like a five weight switch rod. And now I'm, I'm mainly fishing two and three weight uh, trout spay rods. So, 
you kind of do this evolution of uh, downsizing and and in the process you kind of you know I started off mainly throwing like a sink tip and and swinging a, a streamer and now these days I'm mainly fishing like a a two weight uh, trout spay set up with a Scandi line and a and just a nine foot tapered leader and and swinging a little soft tackle and that's mainly oh, what cool. I'm fishing the majority of the time. Um, yep. You know I've got different setups, little skagit heads, so you can swing, uh, you know, light Bigger sink stuff. tips and yeah. and get a streamer down when needed, which is gotcha. super fun in the spring or fall or if the water's high. Yeah. Um, so but yeah. So you're just swinging old school, kind of just basically wet fly, just wet fly swing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So mainly like the, the, I kind of have three or four flies that I fish with a lot. One of them is, uh, there's a, a streamer called the Platte River Spider, um, which is kind of a, a variation of the Platte River Special. Um, just kind of tied almost like stillheads style. It's basically just a big marabou spider, um, tied on like a size six or eight, uh, uh, streamer hook and uh, kind of in yellow and brown and olive, so it's it's a deadly brown trout fly in the fall for sure. Um, so that one's great, but it's unweighted, which is the real beauty of it. So if you just have kind of a uh, a light sink tip or like an intermediate tip on um, that that fly fishes really well. So if I'm going to fish kind of a streamer, that's one of my go tos. Um, and then just your classic like partridge and orange, mm-hmm. I, I fish a lot, uh, and then just some other uh, soft tackles, and then. Uh, I love summer evenings when there's a good caddis hatch. It's super fun to to kind of grease up like a, a goddard caddis or or any other kind of caddis pattern and, and skate that, and that can be super effective as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's man, I, I forget sometimes. You know, the wet fly swing. You know, the the name of the podcast because right. that's kind of how I first came up with that name. You know, it was just for me. It's kind of a throwback as well. I love the old school and you know, wet fly swing. It's just kind of, you know, obviously there's the steelhead part of it, but it, it's also for me just, you know, that's kind of how I learned as well. Just, you know, right. basically swinging wet flies. And, and I love that whenever I think about it, it's like, that's don't forget about, you know, where you came from the old stuff, because yeah, you're, you're a nymphing and there's tons of amazing stuff. It's a lot of fun and it's all great. But, um, yeah, I mean, we learn from somebody and then they learn from somebody and there, there's this cool history in fly fishing. So yeah, I think it's awesome that you're, you know, that's part of your, your thing as well. Um, so, so let's just stay on the two, the 222 thing. So you got, um, you know, the two flies, do you have a couple of tips? I mean, obviously let's, let's just talk about trout spay when you get somebody new, you know, where do you start them and do you have a couple of tip tips to help them get into fish on the wet fly swing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think the biggest of a trout spay is don't, don't overcomplicate it. Um, I mean, it's, it can be a lot to absorb at first, but you know, there's some good resources online. Um, you know, anyone can shoot me an email off the great Drake website. I'm happy to answer questions, but, uh, you know, even if you don't have the trout spay and you want to get into swinging flies, I mean, just, just pick like a size, uh, 12 partridge and orange and, you know, don't do anything fancy, like just your standard nine foot tapered leader, and just look for good water, you know, shallow kind of knee deep riffles that aren't too fast and just start working your way down. them. I mean, it's the beauty of swinging flies is it's, it's really about the easiest method yeah. of fishing, you know? Um, and if you do that, you're going to get a couple grabs and you'll start to figure it out, you know, from there you can really start messing with the swing speed and, you know, maybe adding mending. a little action to the swing and yeah. yeah. And like, you know, mending to get the fly down or, or keep it swinging on the surface a little bit faster, but uh, yeah, if you just, you know, kind of fish down and across the, the biggest thing I think is if you're new to it, 
make sure you're at a point with your casting where you can get that leader to turn all the way over. You really need that to lay out straight. Uh, so it starts swinging almost immediately versus the fly, you know, sinking down and, uh, with kind of a coiled up leader beneath the fly line, you know, that's not going to be as effective. So I'd say that work on your casting to get, get that leader to turn over every time. And that's going to really help. Okay, great. And, and so do you have a couple of resources that you'd recommend if somebody, you know, if they want to get into the trout spay or just really anything? And I guess we're talking about Utah and you said the Provo is, is, and what was the other river, the Provo out there and the other one you fish? Yeah, and then the the Weber. Oh yeah, the Weber, right? Are there any uh, resources you know, kind of online books, magazines, anything that might you know provide some info on on trout? Yeah, spay? there's a there's a magazine called Swing the Fly. Oh yeah, um, that's a great resource, and uh, they do some trout space stuff, but there's just so much information just about kind of swinging the fly on both single and double hand rods in that magazine that you can kind of glean and, and incorporate into your trout spay world. Um, there's also, you know, local fly shops are great. And as more manufacturers are, are introducing trout spay stuff, you know, kind of more people are becoming familiar with it. And so, you know, they can at least point you in the right direction. So I'd encourage you to, to check out your local fly shop, you know, in the Salt Lake area, Western rivers, uh, is, is kind of the, the leading fly shop and they have an amazing staff that's, that's well-educated on that stuff. Gotcha. What about, um, you know, a, a quick tip for somebody who maybe is a, a guy like yourself or a person that wants to start something like you have any tips for them, you know, getting in the fly fishing space? Yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> be prepared for, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know, you can, uh, you know, this, we started this until I had the luxury of, uh, you know, basically a buddy and I started this, it's all self-funded. Um, you know, I'm pretty much running it all at this point. So I don't have like investors that I really, you know, owed money yeah. to right away the first year or two. Um, and so I've been able to kind of take it at this like digestible pace and, you know, I've, I've always worked another job, so I've never depended on, you know, just sole income from this. So if you're, if you're gonna do it the sole income way, you know, like, that's that's a pretty serious commitment yeah. but uh this day and age with the internet and just kind of the way things are it's pretty easy to kind of you know test the waters and and see how much you want to commit to it and you know if i if i had more time and really wanted to drop more money into this you know i could blow it out into kind of a bigger a bigger mm-hmm. thing than it is but i would say the the biggest two biggest tips are just you know be prepared for what you're getting into you know it is it can be a long process and and some you you're gonna have to put in some really long days yeah um but the second thing is is there is there's so much information out there even from when i started this uh you know not that long ago to now i mean just what you can do with like you know instagram and and everything like that is yeah. is you know we we started basically right before instagram really kind of took off as kind of a you know, the yep. tool that it is now for businesses. And, um, there's just so many resources out there and I'm sure there's ones that I'm not even aware of right now that are, that people are using and having success with. So do your homework and, and just kind of don't be afraid to put your head down and grind. Cool. All right. Well, anything else, uh, we, we missed here, you know, I mean, we've, uh, talked about what you have going, anything else you want to share as far as, you know, where you're headed maybe in the next, uh, you know, few months to a year, anything new coming out? Yeah. So besides the, the trout spay guided stuff, um, which we're super excited about the, the next thing is, uh, we have a new box coming out, um, which is, uh, pretty cool. It kind of has like the, the old Wheatley style clips on one side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side is going to be our cork insert, which, 
uh, you know, it's kind of our effort to just take some of the plastic and foam and, and rubber out of the, the industry and put a more sustainable material in there. And, you know, every little bit helps. So we're, we're excited about that box. That will be a perfect kind of, uh, you know, that's the ideal trout spay or kind of like fall and, and summer on steel head box. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. And, uh, and yeah, just as we, as we wrap up here, uh, a couple of, uh, quick questions I've been asking, um, one of them is, um, I'm not sure, you know, when you get off the river, say let's, let's take us to that steelhead river. So you're, and so you do a little bit of winter and summer steelhead or is it mostly summer? Uh, both. Yeah, both. So uh, let's go to, uh, you know, you're getting off of that summer steelhead trip. Uh, maybe it's a nice warm, you know, August day. What's the, uh, what's your drink of choice in the evening? Ooh, uh, that's a good one. So, um, Man, I would have to say in the summer, on a hot summer evening, yep, like a scotch and soda. Is oh, there hard you to go, beat. there you go. The scotch, yeah, that's the that that is the scotch comes up quite a bit. It's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, it's intertwined <laughs> with fly fishing for whatever reason. That's what it is. And you know what's cool thing about it? this is why it is it's old school because it seems like I've talked to a number of uh, European folks and who I just interviewed somebody who's who's over there and again it scotch came up and it's uh, I think that's part of it. You, you're keeping the tradition going on your drinks as well. Yeah, nice. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, and what about what about music? Any uh, band or types of music uh, you listen to? Yeah, I mean I listen to. Uh... I listen to you know this is the generic answer but i listen to everything i grew up in like this like kind of like punk and like hardcore world so i like i listen to like a lot of punk music still but these days it's i just listen to a lot of a lot of old a lot of old country okay yeah what would be if you had to pick one old country oh man uh there's so many but right now i'm uh really really listen to a lot of uh Ernest tubs and uh yep and uh today um when I was uh, getting ready this morning, I had some Chris Ledoux on, so I don't know, just kind of, oh yeah, kind of whatever. There's some cool new stuff out. Um, I'm gonna go see Coulter Wall here in in the next couple of weeks. He's coming to Salt Lake, which is this uh, this dude that plays some pretty cool old Western music. Uh, he's from Canada, so there's a lot of good good new music out there too. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah. Ernest Hubsy, that's the cool thing. I've heard that name, but I he must be kind of older school, like before. Is this like old old school or kind of? I, I'm not totally. It's old. With yeah. It's old. He's like he's like 40s, 50s. Oh yeah, I think yeah. I could be wrong on that, but yep, yep, yep. Cool. All right. Well, I'm gonna try to find uh, try to find the link and throw it in the show notes of some Ernest Tubbs if I can. I'll hopefully nice. if I'm lucky. Um, and everything else we talked about today, we definitely dug into a few. I think some good stuff that um, I'll put some links out there. Um, but yeah, if if folks want to find you, um, the Gray Drake, and that's um, uh, G R E Y Drake dot com. Is that is that the best place? Yep, that's it. All right, Dan. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, definitely appreciate you as a sponsor. This is like we talked about. The cool thing is is it's all connected, right? You're sponsoring the show and I'm sponsoring a good company and you're sponsoring conservation and you know, and it's this cool circle. So I think if, you know, we get more, more, more people like yourself out there doing it, I think we'll be okay. And, you know, I think you, you touched on something, right? The challenge of, of the steelhead runs, right? They're, they're on a, they're in a little bit of a downslide right now, but I think there's stuff we can do to, to hopefully when the ocean conditions change and things like that, they'll be in a better place. So, um, but yeah, we, we won't get deep into the conversation because I know uh, that that <laughs> you know, the funny thing is it it distracts people. People don't want to hear the bad, the bad, right. you know that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing and uh, just um, being a supporter of the of the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Dave. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, take care. So 
there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, well, the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash Drake. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash destination to get more info on the upcoming trip to Alaska and, uh, and potentially BC after that in 2020. Uh, you find out where you, you can get involved there. That's uh, wetflyswing.com slash D-E-S-T-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with soon. I hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.